Welcome back to the Swedish Podcast. Today we are talking about the force of Shah Jahan, which is led by, as mentioned in the previous episode, Lalla Beg. Lalla Beg is the military commander of the region of Kabul, Afghanistan. Along with his force, he is taking his brother, his two sons, and his nephew. All very uh, battle-hardened warriors, and with them, they're taking a force of 25,000 soldiers. Now, the beginning of chapter 42, which describes the descent of the military force from Lahore down to Guru Hargobind's positions, gives a brief description of the different regiments within their force. So, amongst the force, like I mentioned, Lalla Beg is from Kabul, Afghanistan. He especially has a history of terrorizing Sikhs. Um, getting intelligence about the six activities happening in Kabul, relaying that information down to Lahore so then when Sikh travelers, caravans of Sikhs were coming through Lahore and then into Punjab, uh, into the areas east of Lahore, <coughs> they would um, intercept the caravans and steal some of their goods. So the passage mentions these warriors that were coming along with Lalla Beg. So he has a force from Kabul, and it mentions that these warriors, these um, soldiers from Kabul, they're very big and very strong, and their diet is nothing but meat. So they eat all sorts of meats, and they only have one prohibition, which is not to eat uh, pork. Then it talks about people from Kashmir. It talks about, actually very interestingly, it mentions a region in the text lists as Hafas. Now this region is the north, is the Horn of Africa, sorry. So this is on the northeast side of Africa. This would be Ethiopia. This would be Eritrea area. It is not unusual to see African soldiers amongst the Mughal army. And this was prevalent, this was more prevalent, I would say, in South India because the slave trade had more Africans coming to southern India, but this was still prevalent in Mughal India as well, with some of these soldiers actually rising um, to lofty positions within the army itself. <clears throat> so this is not an unusual reference to see that soldiers, African soldiers, would be fighting amongst the Mughal soldiers as well. They were a component of the Mughal um, army. There's a little bit of a description one aspect of reading these pre-modern texts, these texts that come before the British Raj in India, is that you get to see uh, the pre-colonial way of um, a whole wide variety of things. So even in the description of people, it's very interesting. Um, in their descriptions of courts and their protocol and their conduct, you can really get a better insight into um, the kind of the mindset back then of how people thought through reading uh, between the lines of the text. So interestingly, when it's talking about these different types of people, it mentions, you know, the characteristics, like I mentioned that, you know, these people from Gobble, the author is saying that they're very big, they eat meat all the day, all day, and that in eating and eating meat, their mind has become like animals in the sense that they don't have any compassion and uh, they lacked any intellect, it says, uh, the people from 
Africa, it mentions their physical characteristics as having dark skin, um, having very big, strong bodies, but also big noses, big lips. They speak different languages that nobody can understand. It talks about people from Kashmir. It talks about people from other people from Afghanistan area who are speaking Pashto, who eat um, raw meat. So a very vivid and very interesting description of, of different types of people from that time. Um, and uh, as you can imagine, the text is a product of its time. So we have to keep that in mind when reading some of these components. So then as this force then is, is traveling down from Lahore, it mentions, you know, the battle drums are being played. The warriors are screaming different, different battle chants. Um, they are drinking, actually, it mentions specifically, they're drinking a lot of alcohol. They're basically saying that, yeah, we're on our way to, to fight with the Guru and we're either going to imprison him, drag him back to Lahore, or we're going to kill him on the spot. It mentions how they're crossing this uh, Satalog River, river, and this is uh, in the uh, colder months of the year. So uh, they have traveled all day from morning, and now they're traveling through the night as well. So it mentions, uh, you know, these torches that they have that they're taking with them. What's interesting is that in a previous episode, I mentioned how Guru Hargobind has left the village of Gangar and he traveled south about 10 kilometers to where he has set up battle positions. That village of Gangar was Jodrai's area. Now Jodrai, when he left that city, there's a, uh, I mentioned this in a previous episode of how they, there was a very touching moment as he's leaving the village, he has this conversation with his wife and his wife is trying to give him some courage to say that, you know, never, you know, retreat from the battlefield always have faith in Guru Hargobind that uh, even if the gods from heaven came down to fight Guru Hargobind you know it would be no match against him really trying to pump up her husband and uh, so the backstory to that is that Jodhrai's wife comes from a family of six and it's actually through Jodhrai's wife that Jodhrai himself became a Sikh that uh, he you know in his heart then started to get faith and, and love for the Guru so Jodhrai's wife knows that they had traveled south and anticipates that, you know, a force is going to come from Lahore down south. Now, that would probably pass through Gangar. So what she does is something very smart. She puts a plate on the ground, a tal, and she puts her jewelry. So it mentions uh, the jewelry that she was wearing. So it mentions this nose ring that she was wearing. It, was, it mentions uh, pearls and earrings. So she places that on this plate. And she's just staring at this plate. This place is this plate is placed on the ground. So as soon as she starts to see that the jewelry now is vibrating a little bit, is moving, it indicates to her that she's so smart that she realizes that the forces are probably not far north from me. That the horses, this group of twenty-five thousand soldiers, are creating vibrations in the ground and movement. And with that indication. Being so smart, she sends a messenger down to her husband, Jodhrai, and also Guru Hargobind to say that the forces are not probably very far, probably maybe two, three kilometers away. So to prepare yourself. So this messenger then travels down from Kangar down to the battle positions. It describes Guru Hargobind sitting there in the congregation with Pai Bhaktu, Pai Belo, these two long-standing Sikhs 
of Guru Hargobind. The messenger comes down and uh, in a bit of a panic mentions that, you know, Jodhrai's wife had sent me. It looks like uh, it's not going to be very long now that uh, a very big force is coming to wage war. And Guru Hargobind sitting there very calmly and says, listen, we're already sitting here ready. And we're sitting here, we're just waiting for them to come that we can serve them food. And then he says, the type of food that we're going to serve, think of our shields that we have as plates. And in these plates, think about the bullets that we have in these plates as being shakurpare. Shakurpare is, is a type of Indian sweet. Uh, if you know, you know, you gotta Google it if you don't. And think about the arrows that we have. Think of these as being jalebis that we're gonna serve them. Also the chakras that we have on our head and then we're gonna throw at these people. Think of them as uh, different types of sweets made out of uh, clarified butter. The kirpans that we have, the swords that we have, think about these as being different type of salty treats that we're going to give them. So Guru Hargobind is just imbued with this uh, battle spirit. He's ready to go. And he tells you know, his other warriors, they're sitting there ready as well. They had already uh, prepped their ammunition, they had prepped their rifles. <coughs> <They're, coughs> sorry, their horses have saddles on them. They're totally ready to go. Guru Hargobind then looks over at Pai Bello, and there's a backstory about Pai Bello um, having control of these ghosts and mentions. And Guru Harbhind, kind of in a teasing way, says, Oh, you know those ghosts that you control? Why don't you send one over to the forces of, the, of uh, Shah Jahan? And then that ghost can come back and uh, give us an intelligence report as to how many people they are, uh, when they're going to leave that position to come attack us this type of information. So Pai Bello is all happy that, you know, he thinks of himself as having these this command of these ghosts. So he sends this ghost over, right? And so the ghost then goes into the army, uh, sees that, you know, the, these uh, soldiers of Shah Jahan are getting drunk. They're, some of them are passed out. Some of them are sitting by a fire. Like I mentioned, it's in the months, uh, it's the colder part of the season, the year. And then the, sh the scene shifts back because this is um, late at night, early morning. Guru Hargobin goes to sleep with the warriors. Half of the warriors remain awake in case uh, of a surprise attack. And half of them go to sleep. Guru Hargobin goes to sleep, wakes up in the morning, does his bathing. And then it mentions that everybody, all the warriors get together with the leaders of the community, the, the Masans. And even at that time when war could break off at any point, Guru Hargobin, um, and the forces listen to Asadivar being recited. So this uh, ghost is again still there in the Lahore uh, encampment there of the forces. Sorry, of the Lahore forces. And, um, you know, it's, it's walking around, it's seeing, you know, getting intelligence on the soldiers. In that group of warriors of Lalabeg, it mentions that there is a minister there who was very adept at sorcery. So um, because uh, he was so adept at sorcery, he could tell that, okay, there's a ghost here and I know how to trap this ghost. So he does some type of spell and then that ghost is untrapped. And then the, the this scene then shifts back to Guru Hargobind and he's looking over at Pai Bello and Pai Bello, it mentions in the text that he has, he has this like faith in these ghosts. He, he has this, uh, he's keeping his uh, faith upon the ghost that when 
that army is going to leave that position, that ghost is going to come back and tell him. So Guru Hargobind is just looking, thinking about this guy and just laughs at him and says, listen, that ghost that you send, maybe you should call him back. And, uh, you know, is it is it time that uh, the army is going to come or what? Like, what's the update? And Pai Bello says, you know, when that army is going to leave, that ghost will come. Don't worry. And Guru Hargobind then laughs again and says, listen, that ghost is not coming back. You know, don't have faith on this ghost that's going to come back and going to tell us information. Listen, some minister over there had trapped it. Don't worry about it. Don't put your faith in these type of things. So, essentially, Guru Hargobind says that, and then he says, what we need to do is not rely on that. The forces are going to come, so let's prepare for battle right now. And this type of mythological component related to, to some of these stories they may not they may not be uh, true factually in the sense that we might think of a, of an event taking place but we have to understand the context of storytelling at this time that this type of storytelling um, was trying to drive home a certain point and the point being driven home here is that by bello had this faith that this ghost is going to be able to uh, redirect information but the point of this portion here is trying to say that if you put your faith on these type of things maybe even put any type of ego over your abilities to control certain aspects like ghosts and all these type of things uh, that's not going to help you whereas having faith and um, relying upon the divine like Guru Hargobind says here then um, one will be successful not in these other pursuits and that's where this chapter ends and the next chapter is going to talk about as the force then is on its way down to meet Guru Hargobind's force they send a messenger Hassan Khan now now the next chapter as I'm going to jump into is going to talk about the conversation the dialogue between the different messengers of Guru Hargobind's forces and Lalla Beg's forces. So, we'll see you then. Jara auga chadke, gauga chadke, khasna arega, tarla lala marega, sharn parega, tetarega, gajgaj karagiyave, Guru Hargobind saav ke manpa ave, me halo jave. Sir, 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 sir,